Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Well, Drancer, now there are no more Canada's teams. Not that I believe there ever were because I'm not a Canada's team kind of guy. That said, the Edmonton Oilers' Cinderella run came to midnight last night and, you know, she didn't fit anymore. Four games straight, that one in overtime. Colorado wins 6-5 and advances to the Stanley Cup Final. They're rightly placed in the Stanley Cup Final. Where they belong, uh, the S... uh, Sorry, the Oilers. I was thinking football for a second. was about to say Elks. Uh, The Oilers are done. The city of Edmonton can focus on the Elks now. Um, Heartbreaking way for them to lose, given the fact they had two two goal leads in that game before yeah, you hate to a... see it <laughs> yeah yeah you hate to see it. exactly for me you oh know. poor guys poor, poor guys yeah. yeah anyway so uh look <laughs> you know we're we're chuckling um and again like i get there's a lot of pain in edmonton but uh no come on do not indulge that the thing about losing farhan is that every game of high level competitive team sports that gets played one team loses. Like it happens every night that someone plays, someone loses. No, listen, I'm not interested in the in the players part of it. I'm just talking no, about no, from no. a fan base perspective. No, I, I know, but the, the idea of indulging like the oh, you know, the, the people posting like memes uh, about the Oilers logo or whatever, and fans are all up in arms like, oh, it's so unprofessional, it's so classless. Like, stop, 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 stop. Absolutely stop. Losing is not adversity. Your team losing is not like a sensitive third rail subject that can't be joked about in good taste. Like other fans like it when your team loses, that's fine. It's not unprofessional for a media organization to point it out. It's not unprofessional for objective reporters like you and I to enjoy it too. Like it's fine. It's fine. Every, every team loses every, like not every, every team loses, but one team loses every game that gets played. It's not even remarkable. It's what happens. It's not something we can't joke about or talk about. Like, we really need to disabuse hockey fans of this notion and encourage them you to be you a like, little bit more You don't more like adult. too soon, too soon. No, I, too soon is fine <laughs> when you're talking about, like, jokes that are genuinely, you know, touchy. Which, by the way, I, I'm still in favor of, too, so long as they're delivered well. <laughs> you know what? And, and depending the day, on the format. But, like, I'm just saying, people people treat this like it's a personal tragedy, and it's not. Your favorite sports team lost a sports game. Calm down. Calm down. Totally agree. It's sports. We're supposed it's to be sports. able to have fun at both ends. Of so it. so it's like there's a lot of pain in Edmonton today. Like, come on. No, we don't need to be that overwrought. Like, Edmonton fans are disappointed. And for some babies, there's a lot of pain. Well, you know, and, and the truth is, is that some should be, you know, thrilled that they got the month that they got because many no didn't kidding. believe they were going to get that right like my certainly included certainly nobody expected them to beat calgary if you didn't live in edmonton nobody expected them to win the battle of alberta nobody no. nobody and and they, they were fortunate them. they were fortunate to get 
past Los Angeles after being down 3-2. I shouldn't say fortunate. They were full value for wins in game six and seven. So, But at the end of the day, when you're down 3-2 in a series facing elimination, certainly could have gone the other way. Um, yep. And when you look at that roster, right, like for me, I became the most hated man in Edmonton because I pointed something out that ultimately proved to be true uh, on a lot of levels. And, you know, when you when you look at that team, really what we got was we got seven games or six games out of seven because game one in the Battle of Alberta, you sure, certainly can't count. But if you start at game six of the L.A. series and you go to game five of the Calgary series, you got a you got a one you got one week of excellence. That's what you mm-hmm. got. Then you got a week where you were completely outclassed. Don't give me this three one goal games because the games are much more one sided than that in terms of actual true form, right? You were outclassed in this series, which is why it ended four nothing. Which is really what the actual difference between the two teams was, right? Yes, you won some close games, but you were fortunate to be in those games. So oh, it was the the Avs. The Avs had seventy, or uh, sorry, sixty percent plus. Um, of expected goals in the series. Yeah, no question. No question. Like, so on. so when you look at it, there were four out of five games against Calgary where they played great, and there were two games against Los Angeles where they played great, and that was the run that made everybody in Edmonton view their team completely differently. Because going into game six of that LA series, everything we thought about this team was still there, right? A blue line that was completely suspect. Goaltending that was completely suspect. A bottom six that was pretty average that you barely could play. Uh, just a lack of depth five on five scoring didn't didn't exist, right? And outside of the top two players, there just wasn't much there there. And you, so when you, when you look at the roster, the flaws that we saw were on display through game five of the LA series. They were on display from game one of the Colorado series. And in between, there was a one-week run of really, really good play. Not a one-week run, sorry, a, se- a seven-game stretch of which in six games over two weeks, there was really good play, right? And it made you think differently about that team. But really, this is kind of who they are and where they are. And now we're seeing a lot of bouquets thrown from from Edmonton media, which you'd expect. And the same thing would happen in Vancouver, maybe not as personally, but it would happen where now, hey, this is fire wagon hockey and this team, this is what we can expect from this team. Yeah, is I mean, it- this is, no, this is the best team of the mcdavid Dreisaitl era, very probably. They had 30 million in cap space last year or the opportunity to carve it out with the Miko Koskinen buyout. They didn't do that. And then they spent the money inefficiently on players who've just had their best seasons in Oilers uniforms, right? Like not young players who are going to get better. Uh, They don't have much cap flexibility. They still have huge questions in net. They have three key uh, expiring RFAs in McLeod, Pugliarvi, and Yamamoto. And they also have a Vander Kane situation to navigate. This team's not going to be as good next year. Yeah, They're not. They're not. This is the best team of the McDavid Dreisaitl era by a lot. No like very probably by a lot. The opportunity cost to construct this roster. And, you know, you say um, the conversation in Vancouver would have uh, been similar. Like if it happened here, I would have been saying this too, right? Like I would have been saying this too. Canucks fans know that for sure. I would have been saying this is the best. This is the best version of this team very probably. And so this, the stakes are really high. And to build the best, to take your all in shot in the McDavid and, and Dreisaitl era, and get outclassed that thoroughly in the conference final, like it's not a riotous success. I mean, the playoffs were fun. I hope everyone enjoyed it, but it is what it is. And this team is still limited with very few options to improve going forward. You're right. But let's look at the Canucks coming out of the bubble. And and look, you are, 
you're you're the smart guy, right? But certainly there were a lot of media and all fans in this city that that didn't less necessarily listen to you immediately in the aftermath, who felt coming out of the bubble, the best is yet to come, right? And young core, great goaltending. Yeah, there's a couple of tough decisions to be made, but you know we viewed Tanev differently, right? You talked about it in your recent article, right? That sometimes. Um, uh, GSVA doesn't always equate for a guy all of a sudden being healthy and being able to continue a career that we thought was on a different trajectory and things like that, right? Like people are going to view it a little bit differently coming out of a period of success. So, you know, if you're Edmonton and you talk about those RFAs and every team has those, right? We're not talking about McDavid and Drysaddle being RFAs. We're talking about solid pieces that are contributors and depth guys that are, are that are RFAs. So when you look at their situation and you're an Edmonton fan, you know, you can expect, rightly or wrongly, like you will expect that, yeah, it's the best, but we finally got to this point and we can continue to trend upwards, right? So, um, you know, even like, okay, so I'll just pull out a couple of media members in Edmonton. Terry Jones, different deal because he's made a career out of stumping for Edmonton, right? So you're going to get the the, the cheerleading effect there. Mark Spector, who's genuinely, a, you know, a pretty objective, bright guy. Uh, not that Terry isn't, but you know what I mean? Like he's a little more uh, current and analytical with his assessments. Uh, feels that, yeah, you should, you should expect this now. This is great. This team has proven they can play at a high level. And McDavid and Drysaddle elevated their games in the playoffs. And they were able to show they were, they were even better than expected and better than we believe they could be. And now we're just going to be able to, to kind of carry this and build upon this, right? Whereas there's so many different ways to, to look at it, but you can't blame them in the aftermath of what was a, a pretty successful run to think we can continue this. Yeah. I mean, the thing about the 2020 offseason is, like for the Canucks, to just revisit it quickly, leaving the bubble, I thought this team was probably on the rise, right? Like I thought there was no reason for this team to take a step back. It was only after every single unrestricted free agent left and the club started to gut staff that had been active in the bubble and kind of dick around their coaching staff vis-a-vis extensions. Um, it was only after I saw the way that the roster was forming in a, in a newly budget for a new budget conscious Canucks. Like it was really mid October. It took me a month before I was like, Oh my man, this team's in real trouble. And and then my tone shifted and I sort of became public enemy number one and haven't kind of shed that, um, you know, in, in this marketplace, I believed in the Canucks after the bubble. And I think there was reason to. There was younger players. There was cap flexibility. Um, you know, not a ton of it. The club still had a ton of un- inefficient sort of commitments. But I thought there'd be enough to at least, like, keep to Foley and take some sharp gambles on the defense core and, and flesh it out. And that's obviously not how it transpired. With the Oilers, you're looking at a team with, you know, something like $11 million in cap space this offseason, assuming that Oscar Kleffbaum remains on LTI, and just, like, a ton to do. You know, like eleven million. If you're if you want to shop for a Ville Husso or a Jack Campbell to upgrade a net, like plus keep Evander Kane, that's it. That's it. That's the rest of your space. Um, so you know, there's gonna have to be some work done just to keep this group together. For forget augmenting it, uh, just to keep this group together is gonna take a lot of work. And I suspect they're gonna make a mistake on Jesse Pugliarvi. Um, I don't see a lot coming in their pipeline. Um, I don't see the cap flexibility to solve problems quickly. And, you know, that's going to be tough. Like this is, this might be the apex for this team. 
And considering that this team has two of the best five players in the sport, probably two of the best three players in the sport, and that they just accomplished truly historic things together in just two and a half rounds, basically, of the Stanley Cup playoffs, you know, like the stakes here, the stakes here and the expectations should be higher for this team. That that would be my only disagreement with with anyone on the Oilers beat. It's like, if you get McDavid and Dreisaitl, like, you gotta be great. You gotta be a great team. And this organization's fucked it up. Repeatedly. Well, let's, let's look at kind of where they're at, because you mentioned what they've done and what, you know, theoretically what needs to happen. You talked about Evander Kane. Uh, my good friend Ryan Rashog and my colleague says he doesn't think he's gonna, they're gonna keep Kane. Right. And part of that has to be Kane wanting to be there. And there are a certain number of NHL players who just don't want to live in Edmonton, even though it's been a great thing for his career. Um, it's going to cost him a lot to keep him because somebody's going to pay him. He resurrected his value to a point with his performance down the stretch and in these playoffs uh, that there are going to be other teams that say, look, we don't care about the baggage and the potential of, you know, the other shoe dropping at any moment. We'll still sign you, you know, to a six million dollar deal or whatever it happens to be. Um, so. And think of where the franchise was at before they signed him, right? Like, it was a pure desperation move. I said it on a recent episode where at $1.3 million, he was free. Like, by NHL standards, that was a free player that anybody in the NHL could have had. And Edmonton and maybe one other team said, yeah, okay, we'll raise our hand and go there because we're so desperate. We just don't care about the problems, right? And they went there. It worked out great. You know, he got suspended for the last game. That's fine. But... um Overall, all things considered, that was a huge win for both team and player. If they don't get him, that's a big hole. Let's go through an exercise which you and I talked about a little bit on Twitter because every time I'm critical of the Oilers, uh, and I haven't done it a ton publicly since uh, my uh, my one-man team commentary, and I, you know, I went so far as to publicly pick something I didn't believe, and that was saying the Ed- that Edmonton would win in seven. Um, Ouch. No, Ouch. I, I, look, and I didn't place the bet. You were smart saying uh, saying Colorado I, and five. I had abs and five, yeah. Yeah, and, and I didn't place the bet only because deep down I didn't believe it in terms of quality, but I just thought, could they conti- could could McDavid and Dreisaitl continue to raise their level? And the goaltending is bad in Colorado, and ultimately they beat uh, Calgary for, you know, A, McDavid was ridiculous, but B, Markstrom sucked, right? Yeah. So given the goaltending situation in Colorado, maybe you just never know. And, and again, I didn't really believe it. I was trying to convince myself just because, you know, I – Maybe I wanted to be liked in Edmonton. I don't know. Yeah, I political, a political pick, political thing, and and I didn't believe it. So, <laughs> see, okay, I, so you, let's let's go with it because anytime you're critical, people look at you and they think you're a Vancouver fan. No, so they come the back. And say, what is, are you talking about the Canucks? And I'm like, I didn't make my assessment based on <laughs> the fact that I want the Canucks to win because I really don't care. I based it objectively. So let's go with the Canucks. I, I, I get be, that. I, I get that a lot. By the way, where people are like, people are like, oh yeah, well you're just a Canucks homer. And my my stock response is just like try telling that to a Canucks fan. Just try. Yeah, no just kidding. Try. Go ahead. Yeah, try. For sure. Try telling a Canucks fan that my I've got Canucks rose colored glasses on in my assessment of the Oilers. Sure. So yeah. So both of us believe the Canucks have got real problems coming up. Like we we don't believe this team should have been a playoff team. Yeah, they went on a good run. Show me what you can do next year as to whether it's real or not. A uh, lot of things went right. And they still didn't get there. So we believe this roster is flawed and and don't believe they're a playoff team. So that in mind, um, and we'll go off my premise of what are the Oilers after Connor McDavid? Okay. So number one, which team's got better goaltending, Vancouver or Edmonton? Vancouver, easy. 
Okay, so which team's got a better blue line? A little complicated, but in your opinion, which team's got the better blue line? Vancouver, I yeah. think. But yeah. they both suck. I mean, they both if- suck. But if you if you start at the top and you compare and you compare Quinn Hughes to Darnell Nurse, like ninety percent of reasonable NHL people are taking Quinn Hughes, right? So regardless of size and what you perceive of the player. Quinn Hughes' ability at both ends of the ice make him the number one option there. Now, Correct. Oliver Ekman Larson versus Edmonton's number two option. Who is that? Evan Bouchard? Don't tell me it's Cody. Dr. No, Keith. no, no. Co- Cody CC. Okay, so you take an Ekman Larson or Cody CC. It's close with con- okay. with contracts factored in. Okay, yeah, <laughs> no, Cody CC. That's, that's that's fair with contracts <laughs> but, factored but, in. You would take Cody CC. But I need to win a game tomorrow. Oliver Ekman Larson. So if we go top to bottom we'd probably give the Canucks a slight edge and suggest that both groups are flawed. Okay, now let's go with the bottom six. The Edmonton Oilers, according to Daryl Sutter, and he's not wrong, played eight forwards. Like, don't tell me this team's got a a lot of depth and additional scoring in their bottom six. It doesn't exist. Am I wrong? Okay, well, here's the thing, though. Is, like, Leon Dreisaitl... Like, so, first of all, we're already excluding the best player maybe ever, right, from Edmonton's side of the pot. No, no, but, like, like, if we break it down... It, like because we're talking about overall roster construction. No, I know, I get it, I get it. I'm just saying we're already excluding McDavid. No, from this we'll consideration, him, we will put him back in at the end of the argument. Okay, okay. So, so bottom Leon Dreisaitl, Leon Dreisaitl is the best player. We're talking um, bottom six now. You're changing. You're changing. Subject. Oh, sorry, sorry. Okay, bottom six. So we're talking about Derek Ryan. Je- I guess Jesse Pugliarvi. Right. I mean, this is who we're talking about. Yeah. Derek Ryan, Jesse Pugliarvi, Yamamoto, Zach Cassian, um, Warren Fogle, uh, you know, Josh Archibald, who is brutal. Um, Yeah, I mean, close, I would take Edmonton. Okay, but it's close. And neither one of them are... The Canucks don't have a McLeod. You know, like the Canucks don't have a McLeod. They don't have a Pugliarvi. Well, I guess they do, Pod Colson, but like... You know, Pugliarvi is more developed at this stage. I mean, Pugliarvi almost had 50 points this year. Pugliarvi think, can already I think, effectively... I think next year, we're not having this conversation because because Pod Colson would be significantly better than Pugliarvi. I, don't, I, I disagree. I, th- I don't think that's right. So, you know, I, I just... I mean, you know, Derek Ryan or Yuho Lamico probably give um, Derek Ryan the nod. Warren Fogle versus Jason Dickinson probably give Warren Fogle the nod. Ryan McLeod versus Matthew Highmore, clear win for yeah. Ryan McLeod. Um, you know, I, I mean, I think I think you'd pick I think you'd pick the Oilers bottom six. I, I would anyway. Sure, but you wouldn't pick them by much, and you wouldn't say this is the bottom six of a cup contender. But but pretty decisively. I mean, I just went through a sort of four. No, I wouldn't say it's a top bottom six of a cup contender. But I'd pretty decisively take Edmonton's fo- a forward depth over Vancouver's. Uh, okay, and. For now, as far as the top of the lineup is concerned, and we know that McDavid's the best player in the world. You and I talked about the, you know, and again, this was based on, you know, my belief of them being a one-man team. And and really, you know, I, I probably overstepped a little bit on Dreisaitl, but I also have a strong belief that there have been big gaps of time, and I know that he's won a Hart Trophy and had two 50-goal seasons, but we have seen large sample sizes in Edmonton where they've tried to split up McDavid and Dreisaitl. Um and they can't generate enough five-on-five offense. And the go-to move is always to put them back together. And, you know, in those moments, generally McDavid's still generating. And it's dry settle they're not getting enough out of. And now they've got to put them back together. So, 
as, as we go through the exercise and we look at the top four, assuming that Kane comes back to Edmonton, which there's a good chance he may not, but Vancouver's RFA, or not RFA group, but Vancouver's situation with Horvat and Miller and Besser also leads you to believe that maybe one won't come back there. So let's keep Kane in the mix for now. And if yeah. you took if you took Dreisaitl, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, Evander Kane, and Zach Hyman, and you wanted to compare them to Ryan, or sorry, to uh, JT Miller, Elias Pettersson, Bo Horvat, and Brock Besser. Who are you picking as a group? Uh, Edmonton because of Dreisaitl. I mean, the McDavid factor for Dreisaitl shouldn't be overstated in my view. Um, you know, without, like, yeah, without Dreisaitl, uh, or without McDavid, excuse me, Dreisaitl still has controlled 55% of expected goals, <laughs> like, um, over the last three seasons. Um, you know, Dreisaitl's... But McDavid's Dreisaitl's, still drawing the top matchup. Sure, but I mean, Dreisaitl's not a second-line center in this equation. He is a beast. He is a monster. He is one of the top five players in the world. He's probably the second or third best shooter in the world right now. Probably the best at protecting the puck down low in the world. Um, Dreisaitl is so materially better than any Canucks player for me uh, that he almost alone tilts it. Um, you're you're not wrong, but in my opinion, if you put Drysaddle at one, the other four Canucks I mentioned are at two through five. And yeah. I would take them very, ahead very of Kane. Pro- I'd take him ahead of Hyman, and I'd take him ahead of Nugent Hopkins. All four. Eh, I, I mean, yeah, I probably agree. I think, you know, Horvat or Nugent Hopkins, I think it's close. Um, you know, Hyman or Garland, I think you can easily make the argument for Hyman. I didn't even have Garland in my discussion. Okay, well, Besser then. I think you can easily make the argument that it's it's very close there too. Uh, and then, and then you know, I guess if Miller's our dry saddle analog and then it's Pedersen versus Kane, there's no contest there. But I just think to have a player of Dreisaitl's quality, like it's one thing to have a bunch of forwards who are somewhere between the 20th and 40th best forwards in the league, which which I think, you know, the Canucks players we've listed all sort of qualify. It's another to have one of the five best players in the world. And Dreisaitl is one of the five best players in the world. I give I give the Oilers the edge up front across the board. Top six, bottom six. Uh, I'm going to call defense a draw, and I'm going to give the Canucks in net, and that's without McDavid. So that leads me to say... Oilers decidedly better constructed than Vancouver for the moment. Okay. That's so, my argument. But, yeah. but it is, it's it's a worthwhile argument, a worthwhile exercise to go through because you're right. So much of this depends on McDavid. It, it does. I mean, we just look at the power play. A, the number of penalties McDavid draws. B, the, the amount of the amount of players he draws to him so that that cross-seam pass over to Dreisaitl is always wide open, Right. McDavid is a generational player, and my view for, of generational players is very, very small, and Dreisaitl isn't. Dreisaitl is a top five player in the National Hockey League, but he's not a generational player, right? Like, to me, that discussion is Sidney Crosby, Wayne Gretzky, like, that elite level of player, and so so while that's why I remove him, because it was such good fortune versus actual construction, um, you know, with a player like Dreisaitl. So, and, and again, look, McDavid plays for Edmonton. That doesn't you, you, you can't absolve that from when you're looking at at the whole equation. But um, when I just look at overall construction, uh, 
I, I think the Canucks are closer to Edmonton than you think, and I think both teams are flawed. I, I think without McDavid, I think Edmonton's hard-pressed to get into the playoffs. Like, I think they're they're right down to the final week to get into the playoffs. So if you're an For Oiler sure. fan, I agree with that. enjoy this and don't assume it's happening year over year. You better get the goaltending figured out. You better get your back end figured out because after game five against LA, you were nervous. And this team is as close to that as the team that got to the final four. All right, Drancer, you jumped in. You had some brilliant insight for me. Take it. Well, no, I just want to note about the repeatability of what the Oilers did, right? That a lot of what occurred in the Pacific side of this bracket felt very much like fallout from the cataclysm that befell the Vegas Golden Knights late in the year, right? In particular, the injury situation um, and and some other off-ice drama that I think, um, you know, permeated behind the scenes and ultimately led to Pete DeBoer's departure. And I'm not saying that that team doesn't have work to do. Riley Smith's a UFA. Um, They're going to need to make some cap-shedding deals, but, you know, they'll be healthier next year, and that's still a team with more talent than anyone else in the Pacific. Period. Period. Like, I'm sorry. Period. We'll see who the new coach is. We'll see what other moves occur. I'm not picking them to win the Pacific at this juncture. I want to see how the offseason plays out before I do something as silly as that, but they're going to be in the mix again next year. Calgary, we'll see again with Gaudreau, but they're not going away with or without Gaudreau. That's still a very, very good team. And LA, no team has more avenues to improve rapidly should they decide to put their finger on the scale than the LA Kings do. So it's going to be tough. Like the Pacific's going to be tough. I don't see a direct route for Edmonton being better next season, but I see a direct route for Calgary, Vegas to be well, Vegas to be better, Calgary to be every bit as good, and the LA Kings to be significantly better. And yeah, I mean, the Pacific's going to be tough. Like, there's four or five teams, uh, including the Canucks, to be totally honest with you, that you could see being very much in the playoff mix. Like, I don't even know that without some work to upgrade behind the net or in net, like, the Oilers are a playoff team, in my view, because of the McDavid Dreisaitl effect. Sure. But, you know, not not a slam dunk, you know, not not a slam dunk, 100% no questions asked. Like, there's work to be done this offseason. They're going to have to get some things right here if they're going to continue building. So I just wanted to note sort of what's facing them and what's facing a team that doesn't have the devices required to continue to improve is you fall behind. You fall behind. It's a tough league. It's a, it's a hard-capped league. It's an efficiency contest league. Um, it, it's really tough. And so, you know, I just wanted to note that from both the Canucks and a, and a Edmonton perspective, because, you know, the Pacific looked open, looked wide open this year, uh, especially once Calgary's goaltending sputtered in the playoffs. But there is another elite team, or at least an elite on paper team in this division. And if they put it all together, well, it doesn't necessarily feel as wide open as it looked, uh, you know, and, and as it was from Edmonton's perspective uh, over the course of the past few months. Yeah, I mean, if they don't get Kane, we could be back in the same situation they were sitting in around Christmas, especially if they don't get the goaltending right, right? And I know that Smith had some injuries, but the guy's 40 now. Uh, This is a team that went hard after Jacob Markstrom before he went to Calgary. There's a reason for that. They still have to get that part of it right. Otherwise, you you waste the prime years of two exceptional players. And what route do you see to improving your goaltending? Like, there aren't any. 
Well, yeah, with their cap situation, there aren't any. And in terms of who's available this summer, it, it's also going to be challenging. I mean, this is what Toronto's facing too, right? With with the Jack Campbell decision. I mean, yeah, but he's still better than anything the Canucks are going to ro- or anything the Oilers are going to roll out. For, oh, no question. But he's a UFA, so I mean, yeah. he could be what the Oilers roll out for all we know, yeah, right? So I mean, you know, it's just it's it's the one the one ace in the hole the Canucks have is they don't have question marks in net. You know, and that's and that's a huge ace in the hole because, boy, there are not a lot. There is no sexy slam dunk options in net in free agency. So for those teams looking to improve in that area, like, man, you are in for a tough summer. This is going to test the creativity. And honestly, it's just a gut check for management groups around the league. Anyway, let's talk about the extendables here. That's right. Let's dive into it. Uh, you did a pretty good article in The Athletic, uh, breaking it down. And look, it, it's I know it's challenging uh, in your line of work because this is the question. you got to find different ways to frame it on a weekly basis. And I thought you did a pretty good job here in terms of outlining where the value might lie. And I think there's been so much concern in the marketplace around JT Miller and what that contract would age like. But according to, to Dom's model, it might age pretty well. Dom's model is very high on JT Miller. And in fact, sees a, a long-term Miller extension as a far less risky proposition than a long-term Bo Horvat extension. I don't, I'm not sure I view it the same way because I see a lot of regression potential in, in Miller's offensive profile this past season. But that's why I use an objective model, right? Like it's not always going to agree with me. It's not always going to support my priors my preconceived notions and and that's sort of the point right is is you've got this model that can project performance years out and it's not perfect by any means it's just a baseline data point with which to gut check your assumptions and you know i think that's an important exercise to go through like i would honestly suggest to hockey people that they incorporate it in or incorporate something like it into their own uh, process not because it's the tool you should use to make decisions, but because it's worth being like, okay, well, this is what the data says. Why do we believe the other thing? You know, it's worth litigating your priors. So, you know, Miller is rated by this model as a, as a bona fide elite piece who's likely to remain an elite piece into his early thirties and, and a high end piece into his mid thirties. Um, Horvat, the model ranks Horvat as, as really a second line player, a top six caliber player, as opposed to, a potential elite piece. Um, you know, I, I would suggest that the model's a little light on Horvat, a little heavy on Miller. I'm not saying it changes my mind uh, about either either guy, but it's a worthwhile data point because it challenges some of what I thought. And and so, you know, I, I'm happy you enjoyed the article. I hope, uh, I hope the VIPs did as well. And then, of course, today, we broke down the comps. And, you know, I mean, I think there's a real shot that this tax team is facing... You know, Besser at 7-5 because he accepts the QO. Um, that would be the cross- tragedy in all of it for them. Like, you know, yeah, yeah, but I'm, not the Besser's back, most, but at that number and, and with no more certainty. Well, it's the most likely outcome. Like, it, it really is the most likely outcome. And the article we wrote today sort of lays out that really the only comparable situation in recent NHL history, um, and, and honestly, the thing about Besser, right, the Besser QO, is that the... Big platform year contracts came into effect in that summer of 2019, right? By the summer of 2020, no business was being transacted because we were in the midst of a global pandemic, right? And in June of 2020, the Canucks and the, or the Canucks, the players and the NHL 
um, came to an agreement on an omnibus return to play agreement that included a CBA extension and that sort of untethered, right, the qualifying offer value calculation from platform year salary and attached it to overall cap hit. So Besser doesn't just have no analogies previously, really, in NHL history, but he'll never have them, right? They'll, we'll never see situations like this again. Really, there's only one more that looms, and it's Timo Meyer, who has, get this far on, a $10 million qualifying offer wow. for next year. I mean, that is, that is, whew, that is steep, even though Timo Meyer is really, really good. So, from a Vancouver perspective, or from a Besser perspective, too, you know, the, the really only, the only other analogous situation is Patrick Lyonnais. Lyonnais signed a two-year deal the year that Besser signed a three-year deal. But, of course, Lyonnais had spent three seasons in the NHL. Besser had only spent two. So, um, they're on the same track, even though Besser's the older player. And Lyonnais had a down year. The Columbus Blue Jackets qualified him. He accepted the QO. And that's it. Like, that's the best analogy we've got. For the situation, and, and what was the outcome? Uh, one year, QO a, a, accepted offer. And so, you know, that's the most likely outcome here. So you, you put 7.5 for Be- Besser, plus our, our comparables work sort of suggests a range from 7 to 8 for Bo Horvat, and then a range from 8 to 9 for JT Miller. And, I mean, you're talking about something like, you know, uh, I mean, you're talking about a lot of money. You're talking about 23 to 25 million to keep all three guys. Um, when you throw that on top of Oliver Ekman Larson and Hughes and Pedersen, I mean, that leaves you very, very top heavy. And I think poses some really difficult questions about exactly how this organization plans to navigate that and whether or not you can even afford to keep this group together considering what they've accomplished to this point. Yeah, it's going to be challenging. There's no doubt. And, I mean, when you look at it, um, you know, the best one is the trickiest, right? I mean, if, if I've got to get him on his qualifying offer at 7-5, like, should the next move be to move him? Well, the problem is, is you'd be selling low because no one else wants to deal with that qualifying offer headache. Like, your best bet is to reach some kind of an accord some kind of an agreement, some kind of a compromise solution. Like if the goal is to move him, you want to find a way to get him locked up for three or four years so that this uncertainty doesn't hang over and then move him. Um, but, you know, it's at that point too, you're also probably committing to a bit of an inefficient contract. Um, you know, again, we pulled comps of, of uh, wingers, top six wingers who signed on a similar track as Besser did over the past few seasons. And, you know, only one guy has ever come in to a settlement. Well, not ever, but only one guy in the flat cap era has come in for a settlement contract where the AAV of the next contract they signed was lower than their qualifying offer value. And it's Jake DeBrusque who agreed to a compromise solution to facilitate his trade request. Not exactly an analogy that, that the Canucks can, you know, stand on hold on to um you know this just speaks to the importance of managing second contracts and the Besser one just just didn't work out it just didn't work out you know the bet was made with the assumption that the cap would rise that 7.5 wouldn't mean the same today as it did in the fall of 2019 um circumstances outside everyone's control intervened and they're they're you know 
they're in for a world of hurt. There are no good solutions here unless they can find a way to thread the needle and come to a, you know, settlement agreement, which would be really difficult. But I don't think it's impossible. Like one thing, I think the only way out, though, is to spend your way out. And this is something that, you know, is probably not an easy sell. But if the organization's really serious about turning around quickly, I, I mean, the way to do it, in my view, would be to come to a two or three year agreement with a AAV that's something like six and a half or six, seven, five. Sure. And the deal is structured so that Besser makes, you know, most of his qualifying offer in upfront signing bonus on year one, uh, like the day he signs the deal. And, you know, you, the fact is, is that uh, you accept your one year qualifying offer. It's all paragraph one salary, which means it's paid out slowly over the course of eight months. Um, you know, getting getting seven point five million is obviously life changing money for for anybody. But if you get it in one lump sum payment up front, as opposed to spread out as salary over the course of, um, you know, eight eight months uh, and then also you're you're a foreign national. So you can, you know do all sorts of fun things with your, with your accountants to, to protect your income. I mean, that is a true benefit that, but that's the only way that I can see the Canucks driving a, a compromise solution is that they really commit to sort of spending their way out of this mistake. And we'll see if the club's willing to do it. It, it feels, it would feel a bit uncharacteristic considering how this club's behaved the last few years, but that's, I mean, that has to be the top line consideration here for me. When you look at the other two, Miller and Horvat, uh, who both have another year, how confident are you that both get done this summer? It, like, in when, and when I say done, I mean a decision made because done yeah. could be moving one of them. Yeah, I mean, I'm. Um, look, look, I think I think they have to know what you have to come out of. You have to go into the draft in Montreal with a good sense of what the numbers could look like if you decide to move forward with with one or both. Um. You don't have to have it done on July 13th, although that would be great. Uh, but, you know, you do have to have a good sense of what it looks like so that you have a full understanding of your options um, on the draft floor. Uh, you know, where some of the biggest moves traditionally get made. And so, you know, there, there's some work to do because those are big deals. Those are big contracts. And the numbers for centermen have gone a little bit loopy. Uh, that Tomash Hurdle deal is a particularly tough comp. Because Tomash Hurdle's statistical profile is identical to Bo Horvat's. Bo Horvat probably can claim that to be the better defensive player. Um, and that's an $8.1 million valuation. Like, that's that's tough. And, and as for JT Miller, you know, 8.5 to 9. Uh, I, I mean, the way to frame the Miller one is, you know, every... Like, the top 10 scoring forwards in the NHL this past season, which includes JT Miller... Uh, six of the 10 make 8.5 million or more. And really it's like five of the 10 make more than 9.5, but Dreisaitl makes 8.5. So we'll call on his sweetheart second contract. So we'll call, call it 8.5, six make 8.5 or more. Uh, the other four, three of them are going to be in that group shortly, are going to make 8.5 or more shortly. That's Gaudreau, that's Matthew Kachuk, both of whom will sign for 8.5, presumably this summer. And Jonathan Huberto, who also might sign for more than $8.5 million this summer, as he's eligible for an extension on July 13th. And the 10th guy is JT Miller. I mean, yeah. how, do you, how do you not pay him that amount if you're going to extend him? So, you know, these numbers get big. These numbers get expensive. And these rosters get unwieldy in the flat cap era. It's a, it's a cruel league, as I like to say. 
And so, <laughs> and so, you know, you need to, you need to work through it. Yeah, you, you need to figure out a solution, and, and you probably need to make some hard decisions one way or the other uh, in all three cases. Well, and again, if you're JT Miller, right, like you want that decision made this summer, one way or the other, because that's where your value is the highest. If that means a trade to somebody else willing to pay you what you believe you're deserving based on this past year, then that's what you do. But you got to do it based on this year, because I don't know that he's going to be more than a hundred point player on a regular basis. Yeah, the incentives are clear in JT Miller's case. You'd prefer to get a deal done now. And on that, uh, our slash VanCast Edmonton cast, which will be the last one of those ever, <laughs> ever. Or, at least, or at least for a year. Uh, we uh, bid you adieu. We will be back on Thursday. Uh, we we are efforting a, a guest for that show, so uh, stay tuned to both Thomas and myself, our Twitter feeds, to, uh, to get some previews as to what that might look like. But for now, if you're looking for other pod options, new Sabres writer for The Athletic, Matt Fairburn, joins Craig Custance and Sean Gentili on The Athletic Hockey Show USA. Also, Michael Russo joins Rob Pizzo, Jesse Granger, and Sarah Sivian from the Eastern Conference Final this week. Uh, for the roundtable on the Athletic Hockey Show. And as for us, thanks for listening to the VanCast. Please follow us on your favorite podcast platform. Don't forget to leave a rating and a review. And right now you can get an annual subscription to The Athletic for just a dollar a month for six months when you visit theathletic.com slash VanCast. Again, we'll be back Thursday for Drancer. I'm Farhan. Thanks for listening.